Well, hello. Good morning. Uh, my name is Chance Fazell, and I'm the associate pastor here at Cross Point Baptist. Uh, thanks, Wes, for the, uh, the little introduction earlier. You know, we were talking a few weeks ago, talking about preaching. He said, well, when do you, do you want to preach? Do you want to just kind of pick up in the, the Exodus series, or do you want to do a standalone? I said, I'd love to do the Exodus series. I'd love to just kind of hop in whenever it'll be my turn. So, so what's, the, what's the text for the 25th? He said, uh, he, we're texting, and he said, chapter 25, 1 through 9, and chapter 35, 4 through 29. So I looked at it. It's the instructions of the tabernacle. So, you know, a real home run, as they say. Um, I'm really glad to be here in a few different ways. I'm really glad to just be here with you guys. And you guys have made me and my family incredibly welcome over the last, you know, five or six weeks. Um, so it was just really good to be here. Uh, and I've grown to love you guys a whole lot. In fact, we were, I was out last week, and I just really missed being around you guys. So I'm also just really glad to be here and to be able to, to teach and preach this morning. So this is an honor, and, and I'm, this is really important, and that's not lost on me. So uh, we'll pray in a second, and, the, and I'll pray that the Lord uses this time. Um, but why don't you go ahead and open your Bible to Exodus chapter 25. You can stand, and we'll read, uh, we'll read the Scripture this morning. Exodus 25 verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 35, so if you want to go ahead and, and find your spot, now would be the good time to do that. And in 35, we'll read verses 4 through 29. This is chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linens, goat's hair, tanned ram skin, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices, for the anointing oil and for the fragrance incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of their tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Chapter 35, 4-29 says this, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skin, Acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tents and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases, 
the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its great grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars, its bases, and the screen for the gate at the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, the garments of his sons for the service as priest. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who passed, who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it, and every skilled woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod, for the breastpiece and spices, and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, for the fragrance incense. And all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the Lord, for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Let's pray. God, this morning as we hear from your word, I pray that we hear from you. So would these verses be illuminated in our heart to know you and to see you for who you are. And we respond in worship. Let us see Jesus in these verses. Would you be with us and would you guide us in this time? We ask that uh, you do what only you can do, and that's to, to tell us truth. So would you be with us in this time, God? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Well, a lot of you guys are, uh, are probably married. I'm married. Uh, my wife, Lanny, and I will be celebrating our ninth, right? Ninth anniversary in December. Uh, and a lot of you if, you, if you're married, you remember the whole thing. You remember the planning, the ceremony, uh, having family, uh, the, just the planning, all the flowers. And then a- after the ceremony, you probably had a reception uh, where there was probably food. You got to talk to people you hadn't seen in a while. Uh, some of you maybe even had a little bit of dancing at your reception. Uh, it was a great time. And then after the reception, uh, you do what most 
couples do after that. They go on a trip for about a week, and then you come back. Now, after that trip, imagine this. Imagine instead of going to your new home with your new spouse, imagine going to the home that you went in before you were married, and your spouse going to the home that they were in before they were married. That would be silly, right? Uh, the whole point is to, to start this new life together in the same place. So it would be really strange um, for you to be married, spend this week together, and then to go home but not live in the same house. Well, that is where we find Israel this morning. So remember last week in Exodus 24, we experienced this covenant ceremony between God and his people where they're on this mountain. Uh, they, they had this covenant and they celebrated with this, with this supernatural meal with God on the mountain. Um, so the question is, now what? Now what? What are they to do? Well, they need to live together. They've just established this covenant and this relationship, uh, but how will God live with his people? And that's the question that we're going to talk about this morning. So our main idea and uh, uh, our first point this morning is this. God desire, God's desire is to dwell among his people. God's desire is to dwell among his people. So if, you, if you've ever bought a house, you sign a contract, you pay your money, and then you get to live in that house, right? You get to start a family in that house. You get to start making memories in that house. Now, if you if, think of a professional athlete, they sign a contract with a the team, they move to wherever that team is, they start to practice, and they start to play with that team. So it would be great if Israel, if they could stay on that mountain forever, right? They've had this experience. God, his presence is at the top of the mountain. They're there. They're having this meal. It would be great if they could stay at this mountain, but that is just not what's going to happen. They have to leave. They actually have to go do something. Remember, God has called them to go possess the land that he's been given them, that he's promised them, this promised land. So they have to go live in that land. So we have a dilemma here. How will they leave the mountain, and how will they be in the presence of God at the same time? The tabernacle. The, the tabernacle. And that's what we see here in, in chapter 25, if you want to flip back there. Chapter 25, verse 8 and 9 says those very things. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, you shall make it. So let's take a moment and just talk about this. Let's just talk about this tabernacle. Uh, us being in, in America and in, in Southern Baptist life, we're just not around things like this. We're not around a tabernacle. We don't have that type of stuff anymore. So what is it? What is the tabernacle? And the tabernacle is a portable tent where God's presence dwells. Tabernacle is a portable tent where God's presence dwells. Uh, and this tent has three areas in it. So if you're on that very outside of this tent, you're in what's called the outer court, okay? You have an outer court where a lot of people can go, 
And then you have, you go through this curtain and you get into the holy place, right? And then after that, there's a curtain separating you from what's called the holy of holies. And this is where the presence of God dwells. So you've got this outer court, you've got this inner court, and in order to get into the, uh, the holy place, this inner court, sacrifices have to be made for you to even enter. And then you've got this even more restricted place in the very center where the Ark of the Covenant is. And that's where the presence of God, where the glory of God rests on the Ark. Um, the presence of God in this portable tabernacle. So you've got this three-tiered structure. And I want to point attention to this because it's very similar to the three-tiered structure that we saw on the mountain last week in chapter 24. In the mountain, you had all the people of Israel at the foot of the mountain. That's the outer tier. And then up the mountain, you have the elders. And you have Aaron and his sons and Moses and Joshua. And then at the very top of the mountain, you have the presence of God in the cloud and in the fire. And only, only one gets to actually go there, and it's a representative, right? Moses is the representative of Israel who gets to be in the presence with God. And this is the very same structure that we see here in the tabernacle. You've got a place where everybody can be. You've got a, sele- a place where a select few can be. And then you've got a place that once a year a representative can be, and that's the Holy of Holies. And this is no accident. This is God giving the people of Israel a portable way to be with him wherever they go. They can take this tabernacle wherever they go, and the presence of God is accessible. God, in his mercy, uh, is making a way for his people to be near him. And this is consistent across the story of the Bible, right? So you've got, really, you've got Eden. We'll talk, we could talk about that Wednesday uh, at Leftovers. Plug for, one, for Leftovers. Um, Eden, you've got this tabernacle with this three-tiered structure. You've got the temple that's going to be the permanent place of God's dwelling once the people of Israel are, are in the land, they're dwelling in the land, Solomon's going to get to build this, this temple. It's just going to be a bigger, grander version of this tabernacle. And then, in the New Testament, you get these beautiful verses. These beautiful verses like John 1.14 that says that the Word of God dwells among them. Let's read this. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this word dwells is the same word for tenting, to tabernacle. So the the presence of God in the New Testament actually dwells in the land with us through the person of Jesus. God desires to dwell among his people, first in the tabernacle, then the temple, and then in Jesus. Now before Jesus— Right Before Jesus, in order to experience the presence of God in this tabernacle, sacrifices had to be made. Certain things had to be done in order for you to actually be in the presence of God. 
But now, because of Jesus' obedience, we can boldly come before God through Jesus and because of the sacrifice he made. Romans 5.19, we read this verse a couple weeks ago. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. In Hebrews 10.10, 10, this is probably my favorite verse. It says, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God desires to dwell among us. And in such a way that he sends his son to dwell in the land with us, to dwell in our presence with us. And it's because of his obedience and his sacrifice that we can experience the presence of God. He dies, he's buried, and then he raises from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. And Acts 1.8 says this, after, or right before he ascends into heaven, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The presence of God didn't stop in Jesus. When he ascends, we get the Spirit. And in Acts 2, we we see the event of Pentecost when the Spirit of God dwells in his believers, dwells in his followers. And we can share in that same dwelling today. Cross point. God wants to dwell with us. In fact, God does dwell in us through the Holy Spirit that resides in us. And the question is, how often do we really think about that? How often do we think throughout our day that we have the Spirit and the presence of God dwelling inside of us? Are our hearts filled with more of the world Or are our hearts filled with the things of the tabernacle? The golds, the silvers, the scarlet yarns. We should take some time to do some spiritual inventory in our own hearts. What are our hearts filled with? The goodness of God? Or is it filled with the dirt? and the grime and the sin that's outside of the tabernacle, that's outside of the temple, that's marked by the world? Are we filled with these ordinary things, these ordinary desires, these ordinary ambitions, or are we willing to put these things aside and to fill ourselves with the things that honor God? Galatians 5.23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our hearts should be marked by these things and not the things that are so much more common in the world. God wants to dwell with us, and he does in our hearts. Uh, To the non-Christian in the room, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, God wants to dwell in every single heart. And you are not too far gone in order to experience that. But you must see your sin as offensive to God. Repent of that sin and to follow Jesus, who is the true king. Don't wait. Don't wait to do that.
that day can be today. And we invite you to do that. And we'll have a time to respond here uh, towards the end of the service. This tabernacle, it's a glimpse of what's to come, right? God's dwelling in this tabernacle, but it's not, as, it's not what it could be or not what it will be in Jesus. Yet this temple is a vital part of the story of the Bible. So here in Exodus 25 and 35, uh, what we see is how God wants it to be built, how God wants it to be built. So the second thing that we'll see this morning is that God uses our time, talent, and treasure for his glory. God uses our time, talent, and treasure for his glory. So everything about these things that we've read are reminding us of a few different things. And one of these things has to do with royalty. So when you think of gold, silver, and bronze, and the purple cloth, and the blue and the scarlet cloth, all these things are, are trying to remind us of royalty, of kingly things. Um, and these things are associated with, with great value. These precious metals and these fabrics, uh, and they're associated with royalty. The second thing is that these items, they, what they require is skill, time, and resources in order to make. Like the dye, uh, for these curtains, these, these fabrics, the, the blue and the scarlet and the purple. Um, I did some research, and, and there's a certain snail, a marine snail, uh, with the, where the mucus is taken from this snail, and it's used to dye fabric these colors. And what I read is fascinating, that it takes thousands of these snails in order to produce one robe, enough dye for one robe, so just imagine the time, the skill, and the resources it's going to take in order to dye all the fabrics that are going to be needed for the tabernacle. What God is doing is giving Israel the opportunity to be a part of making this tabernacle, making this place where his presence is going to dwell. He asked them to use their time and their understanding, their skill, to build these things. And third, we see that God uses treasure that the Israelites have accumulated. Now, we have to stop and ask ourselves, where, where did the Israelites actually get this treasure from? Now, if you think about it, where have they been for the last few hundred years? They've been slaves in Egypt. So how can slaves accumulate this wealth? Well, if you look at Exodus 12, which we've, we've walked through, um, in the past, Exodus 12, 35 and 37 says this, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. The only reason that the Israelites have what they have is because God gave it to them. The only reason that they're able to contribute in the way that God asks is because they've been given it by God. Everything they have, they owe to God. So God asked them to give it back towards the building of the tabernacle. Everything we have, we owe to God. Every moment of time, every 
ability that we possess, every cent and dollar that we have to our name is God's, and he's gifted it to us. Since it's God's, he asks us to use it in the same way that he asked the Israelites in Exodus 25 and 35. He wants to use our time, our talent, and our treasure to bring him glory. How are you using your time to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people, for the glory of God? How are you using your time? Moms, you might be thinking, what time? And, and I hear you. Um, I hear you. But the time that you have, that you have the opportunity to spend with your kids, uh, is not in vain. Day by day, uh, moms, you have a unique opportunity to disciple your kids, to tell them the truth about the scriptures, teach them who God is and how to live in this life, marked by someone who is allegiant to him. God can use your time, even uh, when you think you don't have enough to do what you need to do. Men, uh, I, I want to ask you, who are you investing in? Are you spending time investing in other men? Have you spent the time trying to identify somebody that you can spend time with to disciple? They're ripe for the picking. Uh, they just need somebody to make the initiative. Uh, caretakers. Over the last few weeks, I've been struck by how many people in our church are caring for loved ones and caring for parents, uh, and that's incredibly difficult. Uh, the care that you, that you give is often unnoticed and undervalued, but let me just tell you that, that I don't believe God sees it that way. That what you're doing is you're giving dignity to your loved ones in a time where it's really difficult for them. So I encourage you, God sees it, it's not in vain, and be encouraged to keep going because God knows exactly what's going on and he knows your heart. He knows your heart behind these things. How are you using your time? How are we using our talent to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God? You know, each one of us has been gifted somehow. Uh, it might not be as uh, in your face as playing a guitar or singing on stage, but each one of us is gifted in some way. Some of you guys are incredible encouragers, and I've experienced that over the few, last few weeks. I've gotten a few text messages and a couple emails, and you guys have been incredible encouragers to me. Uh, and I would just encourage you to keep doing that. Keep being an encourager to the people around you. Ask God to help you see opportunities to use your ability to bring him glory. How are you using your talent? How are you using your treasure to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God? Remember, everything we have is, is not ours. Nothing that we have is ours. It's all a gift from God. Is your financial giving, is it bringing glory to God? We have an opportunity to 
spread the presence of God, the dwelling of God among the nations. And we can do that through the way that we give in our treasure. Let's, people, let's be people who give well with our treasure. Remember, there's these bowls that are up here in the, in the first part of our service to remind us that we do serve a global God. Uh, what we give is, is way bigger than Baton Rouge. And as Jim said, it's way bigger than the corner of Highland and the airline. What we give in our time, talent, and treasure is way bigger than this area. It goes across the nations. Let's be people who give well and whose gifts glorify the Lord. So earlier when we read these verses together, and then we we read chapter 25, and then we read 35, you were probably thinking, did he actually turn his page? Uh, Because it sounded identical up until a certain point. Uh, So we have to ask ourselves, why the repetition? Right? That's, a, that's an important question for us to ask as we read. If you th- see things over and over again, it's probably good to step back and to ask why. A couple reasons. One, um, it could be that these contributions to the tabernacle are so important, so important that they need to be made very clear to us. And I think that's true. Um, I think there's another reason why the repetition exists. And the other reason, I think, has to do with what happens in between chapters 25 and chapter 35. And in, if you're a, a Bible nerd like me, you might be thinking, the golden calf. The golden calf sits right in between these chapters. So, why is the episode of the golden calf making Moses repeat himself? I'm glad you asked that. Uh, we're not going to skip the golden calf. We're actually going to come back to that in a, in a few weeks and give it its due time in a later sermon. But remember what happens. Remember what happens at this point. So Moses is at the top of the mountain. He's there for how many days? Forty. He's up there, and the people are down at the bottom of the mountain, and, and Aaron is put in charge. And the people start to wonder and actually say, we don't know what happened to Moses. All we saw, he was there. He goes through this cloud of fire and smoke, and he hadn't been back in 40 days. We don't think he's coming back. So what do they do? They ask Aaron this question. Um, they, uh, where is it? I have it right here. They ask Aaron to make an Elohim, a God. A God to go before us in Moses' place. So they melt down jewelry and they fashion it into the form of an idol. So God actually tells Moses about this on the mountain. Moses comes down and he intervenes. And God shows mercy to the people of Israel in the midst of their blatant disobedience and their idolatry. And then God renews his covenant with Moses. And so we find ourselves in chapter 35 when these contributions and these instructions are repeated as if to say, let's try this one more time, right? Let's try this one more time. So our third point this morning is this. God's mercy leads people to worship. God's mercy leads people to worship. So let's play, pay a little closer attention to the repetition. We do see the gold and the silver and the bronze repeated. We see the scarlet and the purple and the blue repeated. But there's some other phrases that we see repeated in this, this chapter in 35. And it's phrases like this. Everyone whose heart stirred him. 
everyone whose spirit moved him. It's repeated five times in this chapter. These people had just been a part of idolatry, and to the extent that 3,000 men died because of the sin. The rest of the Israelites, they've witnessed holy judgment, but they've also witnessed God's great, great mercy. And it's because of this great mercy that they have their hearts stirred, their spirits moved to contribute to, contribute to this tabernacle. And it's interesting that these very same items that they're bringing, the gold, is the very same thing that they used to make the idol itself. 2 Corinthians 8 speaks of this. Uh, it says, you know, Paul encourages the church uh, to give as a way to follow Jesus, who gave himself freely. And so their response should be to give generously to the things that are in uh, their area, in, in their church. The people of Israel, they've come together. They've had this experience where they've, they've experienced God's mercy and his judgment. And they say, God, we want to give to this portable dwelling place of God. We have seen a great mercy in Jesus. We are a broken, sinful, and rebellious people. Ephesians 4 or Ephesians 2, uh, 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. John Calvin famously says that the human heart is an idol factory. And, and in our sin, and in our natural state, that's all we do. We ascribe value to created things. It's constantly something that we do and that we have to battle. We are no different than the Israelites. We're no better than the Israelites at Sinai. And we too deserve death and abandonment. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We have been shown great mercy from God. And only through Jesus' obedience to death on a cross has this mercy led you to worship. Have you been saved from this sin and made righteous because of Jesus' life? If so, we have so much to be thankful for, and we have so much to worship. We must be like the Israelites this morning. We must see God's mercy, and we must respond rightly. Just like the Israelites give their time, talent, and treasure, we too have been called to do the very same thing. Would you look at the cross Look at the work of Jesus and have your heart stirred and have your spirit moved. Let us see our sin and have our hearts moved to repentance and follow Jesus in righteousness. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gospel and the life of Jesus that now we place our trust in you 
we too can be made righteous. So God, as we sing a song, as we reflect on the word this morning, I pray that you would show us places in our own life uh, where we need to repent and follow, places for us to give our time, places for us to give with our talent and our treasure. Would you show us and would you guide us in how to live this life the way you've called us to do? Thank you for your word and thank you for Jesus and his life on the cross. Would you be with us as we respond? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.